I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis and the 45th chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 45. Genesis chapter 45 is where we're going to be today. Genesis 45. Now, before we go to the Scripture and read it, I want, you to, I want you to really focus with me for a moment. Because if you miss the foundation that I'm going to lay before we get to reading our Scripture, then you're going to miss the gist of the message that God's going to give us out of this passage. So I need you to really think on purpose, listen on purpose. And put your thinking caps on today, and, and let's sort of get our heads together, going in the same direction. Let's get on the same page, so that we can grasp exactly what God is doing here. I want to talk with you this morning about struggling with forgiveness. Struggling with forgiveness. And I want to begin by saying about the family we're going to read about, which is Jacob's family, that if there is a more dysfunctional family in all of the Bible other than Jacob's, I, I am unaware of it. I mean, his family from the get-go, from the very beginning, he has a group of people that are children and wives, and it, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just dysfunctional. I don't know what else to say about it. There's no cooperation, no harmony. It's, it's just not there. Perpetual jealousy between Leah and Rachel. Carnal drama in the lives of his children. And Jacob, as always, seems detached, only concerned about himself and what's best for him. His family is a mess. And on top of all that, Jacob exacerbates the problem by favoring his son Joseph over his older brothers. In fact, this is just so, it's just so stark, so blunt. The Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Can I, can I say this to you parents that are here? That's the easiest way. You pick a child, you love the child. The pain comes from when you love all of your children equally because then that pits you in the middle of whatever is going on in their lives and you've got one here and one there and two here and two there. And even when they're younger and there's, there's conflicts among them, your equal love for them causes you at some time or another to hurt in one direction or in the other direction. And so Israel, Jacob, didn't do that. He said, I'm going to pick one and I'm going to favor him all the time. And so God, I think if you went to Jacob and probably said, do you love, do you, do you love Joseph more than the rest? I think Jacob would say, what? What are you talking about? The most ridiculous, absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. But he did this. He made him a uh, special coat. The Bible calls it a coat of many colors. What did the coat do? It set him apart from all the other siblings. 
when they saw him, by the way he was dressed, he looked different. And so by the very coat he wore, by the very coat he wore, he was separated from the rest of his family. Now, don't you think it's extraordinarily predictable that a jealousy would be created by that type of favoritism and that jealousy finally leads the entire crew across the line of resentment and into the region of hatred. Genesis 37 verse 4 says this, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. That's, a, that's amazing. <clears throat> and the Bible says they couldn't speak peaceably to him. Nothing good they could say. Couldn't find anything noteworthy. Couldn't find anything that might be at least halfway complimentary. They bankrupted him. They hated. They hated him. And so a day comes when the boys are out feeding the sheep. Supposed to be in Shechem, wound up in Dothan. It's a 65-mile journey, and Jacob says to Joseph, go feed your, go find out how your brothers are doing, deliver some goods to them, and uh, check up on them. And so he went, took that journey. As soon as they see him approaching them, the wheels of vengeance began turning in their mind. Okay, this guy that's coming... He's not the kid brother that they adore and, yeah, just pick on him, thump his ear and, you know, give him, give him a rub down on the head. That's not who this is. This is the guy they hate. And so when they see their brother that they hated coming toward them, the wheels of vengeance begin to turn. And, and if you think about how far down they allowed their resentment to take them, Chapter 37, verse 20, they say, Come now, therefore, let us slay him. I, I don't know how that makes you feel. I, I don't know if you feel any... I mean, we've watched enough Westerns and enough garbage on TV that we may be so galvanized that we're beyond feeling. But, but these are brothers. And, the, and, and they see... They see their kid brother coming toward them, and they're so angry, and they're so overwhelmed with resentment, and they, they're, they're so incensed at what, what, what they feel like he's responsible for uh, in their family, and the favoritism that's there, that, that they just hate him. And when hatred goes unchecked, it leads you to places that you should not go. They wanted to... They, they were going to murder their younger brother. Now, that's where they were at. They were, going to, they were going to murder him, okay? And they even concocted a lie to tell their dad, man, he got torn up by a wild beast. Here's his coat. Here's the blood on the coat. Dude, a wild beast tore him to shreds, and we're heartbroken, Dad, to tell you this. Thank God for Reuben, who wasn't spotless and wasn't perfect, 
in all of this. But he thought to himself, I'm not, letting, I'm not letting this happen. I'm going to rescue him and deliver him back to my dad. We may not like the, the things that are set up in the family, but I've got a level enough head. I'm not participating in, in the vengeance party. I'm not dropping off into the abyss of hatred. I'm going to save my brother. Thank God for Reuben. And he did. He, he saved Joseph. And by the way, can I just help you with this? Would you please just, would you just get this? I don't know where you need it. I, I, don't, I can't see inside your life or inside your head or how you're feeling. But, but can I just tell you that if you don't keep your emotions in check, they'll lead you to places that you never could possibly imagine that you would go? And somebody says, well, Pastor, if I know my own heart. No, you don't know your own heart. The Scripture says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't know your heart, but God does, and God will reveal it to you. Let me help you with this. Everybody here? Everybody with me? Good. Okay, your heart's deceitful. Let me tell you something about your heart. You might want to write this down. My heart is desperately wicked. And then right below it, Pastor Dean. And then X that out, because Pastor Dean didn't say that. Put God, who knows your heart. I don't know your heart. But God said to me, okay, let's do it, let's do it here, okay? Because you're not liking this, so I'm, gonna, I'm backing off quickly uh, because I'm getting scared. I feel like I've gone in the yard fixing to ring a doorbell and invite somebody to the church, and there's a pit bull looking at me. So I'm backing out of the yard just saying, hey, Lord, I'll pray for them. Anyhow, so I'm backing out. So let's just, let's just do it with Dean. Look at me. You know what God says to me? Dean, your heart will deceive you. You know why it'll deceive you? Because your heart is clothed in a body of flesh. Your heart is desperately wicked. That's what God tells me about my own heart. So finally, Reuben having interfered they decided to sell Joseph to a caravan of Ishmaelite merchants that were headed to trade their wares in Egypt. Now think about poor Joseph. He is he's sold for the price of a common slave. And it would seem, would it not, that fate had frowned on him? But here's the thing about Joseph. Joseph believed that God was in control of his life and that God was always watching over him. So even in these adverse circumstances, Joseph had faith in God. And, and, and when you read these chapters, just go back chapter 37 and read forward. Son, when you read that, you, be, you become perhaps um, impressed with the idea that these chapters contain a whirlwind of events. It's not it at all. Thirteen years. Okay. Thirteen years, Joseph spends as a slave in Egypt or as a prisoner in bondage, in a cell, in a dungeon down below. Thirteen years of his life, that's how he spends them in a foreign land, abandoned by his brothers, imprisoned on false accusations, forgotten in an Egyptian prison, before Joseph would become the hero that rescued Israel from certain starvation. So it doesn't start out good. I mean, we, here's Joseph, son. Here's Joseph. 
He becomes the man. But before Joseph is the man, Joseph is the slave. Okay? So just because right now your life isn't hitting on all cylinders and it's not where you wanted it to be doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to spend the rest of your life in an Egyptian prison. God may have a place for you where, where when you trust Him and draw nigh to Him, He exalts you to where He wants you to be. Don't lose faith. Now, let's do this, okay? You ready? Let's fast forward to where we're going to read in our text. All right, everybody with me? Two years now, two years deep into the famine, okay? So you've got 13 years as a slave or in prison. You've got seven years of plenty. You go back and read it yourself. I don't have time. But there were seven years of plenty, and then there would be seven years of famine. So we've got the 13 years in prison, okay? We've got the seven years of plenty, and now we're two years deep into the famine, that's 22 years. So when we pick up reading here, when we pick up reading, um, we're going to read the first time that Joseph sees his brothers in 22 years. They don't recognize him. He's now not only a man, but the second most powerful man behind Pharaoh in all the land. He recognizes them, and I have no doubt that his mind went back to that day that they sold him to the Ishmaelite merchantmen as a common slave and had him hauled off into Egypt and went home and lied to their daddy. He's got every right to be angry, every right to get even, every right to demand a pound of flesh and a pint of blood. He could have made them pay big time. But let's read what happened. Chapter 45, verse number 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he what? Cried. Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Uh-oh. Joseph. Verse 4. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life for these two years. Hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be neither earring or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth to save your lives by great deliverance. Now, so now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father. And say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, and thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast, and there will I, there will I nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. Behold, your eyes see me. And the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. 
And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept sore upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. Now, the amazing thing to me, if you know human nature, you know it's true that after all, despite everything he had been through, everything he had suffered, Joseph was able to recognize that God had been at work and had used the hard times to get him ready for today. Everything that happened in the 22 previous, particularly the first 13 years, got him ready to rule the land for the seven years of plenty and now the seven years that would follow. So everything adverse in that early stage, Joseph saw God working to bring me and set me up where I need to be today. Can I tell you this? That God's purpose in our lives is more important than our personal happiness. We sort of feel like God is Santa Claus, don't we? And the Bible is our, it's our Aladdin's lamp. We get to rub it. And, and uh, God's going to do everything we ask Him to do. But God's, God, listen to me. Joseph was wise enough to see, listen, God in the details. Joseph was wise enough to see God in the details of his story, even in the painful details. May I encourage you to look for God in your troubles? Can I encourage you um, uh, to, to realize that He's there in your darkened cell? He's there in your burning, fiery furnace. He's there in your lion's den. He's there in the midst of the, he's there in the, midst of the raging storm. God is there. He never left you. He never will leave you. He's there. Even in the bad times of your life, God is there. Now, Joseph has a, gr- has a choice to hold a grudge or to uh, 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 forgive us. He can exact revenge. He can strike back or he can let it go. And rather than holding them accountable for the grief they had caused, he chose forgiveness. Now, isn't that great? How many of you think that's a good end to a... It's a sad story, but how many of you think that's a good end? Both of you, I'm so proud of you. And I'm going to ask you to go home now and the rest of you stay because I, you're missing the point here, okay? Everybody with me? Okay, now watch. 22 years later, he sees his brethren. He reveals himself to them. I'm Joseph. And they're like, oh, I know. Okay, we in trouble. But they find out Joseph forgives them. They talk with him. They go back, get their dad. They bring their dad back. They live in a plush place called Goshen. And 17 years later, daddy dies. So let's fast forward 17 years later. Go to chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Fast forward. 17 years after he reveals himself to his brethren. Chapter 50, verse 15. They have the funeral. 
They bury him in Hebron. The family comes home and feelings begin to rise to the surface that were once thought settled and forgotten. Verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, Shall we say unto Joseph, so shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God, thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am I in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil. But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Now here's my message. I want you to listen carefully. The struggle with forgiveness was not Joseph's. He's the type of Christ. He did what Jesus would do. He forgave them. The struggle with forgiveness was his brothers. Joseph, Joseph forgave them because he was able to see God in the detail. He looked beyond them, beyond what they had done, and he forgave them. The struggle with forgiveness was theirs. Listen to me. Seventeen years earlier, this had been settled. Seventeen years earlier, Joseph spoke with them and said, Hey, listen, guys, God was in this. Doesn't matter what you intended. I know that you realize and recognize you were wrong in what you did. They confessed that. But God's used all of it for his glory somehow. And even though they confessed their guilt he, and he had assured them of his forgiveness, they struggled with accepting what they knew they did not deserve. For 17 years, that feeling of guilt like an underground stream lay below the surface of their smiling faces and their family chatter. For 17 years, it haunted their days and caused them to fear their tomorrows. For 17 years, they could not escape the guilt of their past sins. I'm going to tell you something. It is a heavy, heavy, heavy burden when you carry the guilt of your past in all those years. It's a sad way to live, and in fact, it's not really living, it's just surviving, and yet that's where we are in the lives of so many people that come to church today, it's not the forgiver that struggles, it's the forgiven. And that's what happened here. Now let me draw some conclusions. First of all, listen carefully to this, what I'm fixing to say. Please, would you just, would you just stay with this for a moment? First of all, you can forget ever-deserving forgiveness. Just, no, you can't. No, you don't. No, you're not worthy. 
No, you're not deserving. No, you shouldn't be forgiven. No, you have no right to be forgiven. That's what grace is about. Grace isn't forgiving people that somehow have scraped their way to a spot in life where they deserve forgiveness. Grace is because we're forgiven when we should not. We don't deserve forgiveness. We deserve hell. We deserve rejection from a holy God because we are sinful people. We, 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 look, look, what could Joseph's brothers ever do to make up for the 13 years of bondage and suffering they had caused him? What, guys, I, uh, Joseph, uh, we sold you for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave at that time. We're going to give you the 20 pieces of silver. Do, do you think that would have repaid him somehow? Was that fair reparation? Do you think that they could somehow, giving back the countless sleepless, sleepless nights, when he lay in an Egyptian prison thinking about home, do you think that somehow they could give him back the 22 years of life that he missed with his dad? 22 years of life that he missed with his younger brother Benjamin. 22 years of playing and romping with his nieces and nephews. 22 years when he never drew a home-cooked meal under the table at their house. Listen to me. Look at me. There's no way this side of heaven, that Joseph ever could have made up for what they, that they could have ever made up for what they did to Joseph. You, they just could never get to where they were deserving. <coughs> Nothing they could ever do would make them deserving of his forgiveness. And yet that's what they wrestled with. One of the things they struggled with was they knew they weren't deserving. When he said, I forgive you. 17 years later, they're still saying, but we don't deserve it. But we don't deserve it. We, he's going to kill us. We're not deserving of what he said 22, uh, 17 years earlier. We're not deserving of that. How could it be? How can it be? Some of you have spent years of your life trying to earn God's favor by accumulating mythical points of good behavior. You've tried to overcome your past. You're motiva motivated far more by your guilt than you are by His grace. Your life is all duty instead of beauty. And Paul addressed the church at Galatia because they thought they could earn God's favor by their good works. And he said to them in chapter 2, verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if, by righteous, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now look at me. If you can earn good favor with God, and somehow you can raise yourself up to a level to where you suddenly, whew, finally, <laughs> whew, that took me a while, but I'm finally deserving of grace, then Jesus wasted his time dying on the cross. You will never deserve forgiveness. You just can't earn it. And the people that think they have and can and did, in the Bible they're called Pharisees. Pharisees. I earned it. I accumulated enough points. And here I am. I trade my points in now, okay, for his 
forgiveness and His favor. You'll never deserve forgiveness. Second conclusion I draw from this is, we must accept forgiveness by faith in His Word. Now stay with me for a moment. The brothers struggled for 17 years. Do you know why? Do you know why they struggled? You know why? Because they didn't have faith in what Joseph said 17 years earlier. He gave them His Word. It's over, it's done, it's settled. 17 years later, it ain't over, it ain't done, it ain't settled. Why? Because they didn't believe what Joseph said when he initially said it to him. It's embarrassing. Look in verse 17. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and his sin. Daddy said you should forgive us. And so Joseph, now would you please forgive us? You know what Joseph did? Look, look at it. You know what Joseph did? And Joseph did what? Wept. Why did he weep? He wept because they didn't believe him. He wept because 17 years, we, guys, no, no. We settled this 17 years ago. 17 years, I told you I forgave you 17 years earlier. We settled this. Why are you coming back now saying, forgive me? All over America, people are going to go to an altar. They're going to get on their knees in churches, and they're going to beg God, Oh, God, forgive me. Please, please, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I Forgive me. Forgive me. And God's going to say, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath I removed thy transgressions from thee. Why are you asking forgiveness again for something we settled 17 years ago? Why? Why? We, that's, that's done. On my side, that's done. Why are you struggling with forgiveness? You ever wonder how God feels about that? When He tells you, remember, remember now, listen, we have to accept forgiveness by faith in His Word. When God said, I forgive you, and we keep asking for forgiveness, He weeps maybe like Joseph did. How do you think that makes God feel? When God said, I forgave you, and we say, please. No, I did. No, please. I forgive you, but could you, could you really forgive me? It's embarrassing. I mean, they, look, verse number 18, his brethren also went and fell down before him. They're falling on their face. What a sad scene. Brothers that can't take forgiveness because they think they're unworthy. You know what Joseph finally says to them? Basically this, stop living in fear. Quit living in fear. This is what, for, listen, look at me. Here's what, here's, what, here's what it boils down to. The struggle with forgiveness, this is what it boils down to. Do you believe God, when God said He forgave you, do you believe that? When God said He's forgiven you, do you believe? Here's, here it is. Do you, do you believe God's Word? Here it is. Here's the struggle. Can you take God at His Word? Preacher, you don't know what I did. Oh, God does. And he still said it. No, God does. I don't know. I don't want to know. But God knows what you did. He saw you when you did it. He saw where you were and who you were with. And what happened? God saw it all. But God said, I forgive you. That's the whole purpose of Calvary. That's what Golgotha was all about. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Listen. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1, 7. 
Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then somebody says to me, Pastor, the things I did were after I got saved. Oh, really? Okay. Well, let's try this one. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, look at me. You, look at me. Forgiveness in my life doesn't depend upon what you think about me. It depends about what he said to me. I, I, I may have sold drugs last week and got on my face. By the way, I tithe. Anyhow, and, and, and got on my face before God and asked God to forgive me. Do you know what? Do you know what? Whether you do or not, don't matter. Don't matter. What matters is, he said, Dean, I forgive you. And so I must embrace the forgiveness that comes from my Heavenly Father. Conclusion number three, guilt will paralyze your potential. Now, I'm almost done, so don't lose me. Okay, Stay with me. Here's what guilt will do for you. It'll cut you off from ever becoming who you are intended to become by God and His purpose for your life. Uh, the, that, uh, the, the brothers had been forgiven, but they were imprisoned by the guilt and shame of their past. It crippled them from becoming the men that God intended them to do. For 22 years, they bore the guilt and the shame of their actions. And then for 17 more years, they couldn't come to grips that they had been forgiven. And so for those 39 years, nothing notable is ever mentioned about them. Nothing notable. And in fact, in chapter 38, there's sort of a parenthetical interruption of the story. And guess what we find? Judah chasing harlots. Having an illicit relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who he thinks is a harlot. Talk about a cesspool, a patent place. Talk about a red. Why did all that happen? Because you got a bunch of guys that did a bunch of wrong and carried the guilt every day of their life with them. And their guilt over their past paralyzed whatever potential. You see, they never got over what they were and what they had done because they could never see themselves as truly forgiven. And we can do the same, both with God and with others. We can, we can do the exact same thing. We, we realize the seriousness of our offenses. We, we sincerely repent and seek forgiveness, but when we receive it, we don't live as though we've been forgiven. Now look at me. Yes, no, 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 listen to me. This isn't a mushy message. Yes, there are consequences. You go out and rob a bank, you're going to jail. You're going to prison. You're in trouble. It's going to happen to you. There are consequences. But you can be forgiven, even in the midst of your consequences. And consequences, they don't come from me, they come from God. He allows us sometimes to feel the weight of our consequences. I love Colossians 2, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. You know what, you know what that is? It's a document that says this, Dean Victor 
herring guilty. I'm guilty. Ain't nothing I can say and nothing that I will ever do that can take that from me. I'm stained. I'm guilty. Okay? There's my mugshot. There's Dean. Jesus said, give me that. Give me that. And he took it to his cross and bore it for me. You see, he took from me the legal document, the handwriting of ordinances that was written against me, and he said, I'm going to take that out of the way, nail it to my cross, and Dean's forgiven. It's as, you know what justified means? Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. Just as if I'd Never sinned. I like to find the court documents proving the guilt of Dean Victor Herring. Uh, there ain't none. There aren't any. Why? Because they were all removed on Calvary. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to accept what he offers you? You will never stop being, listen, oh, would you listen? You will never stop being the person you were. You'll never stop being that person. Even when you come to church and put on a suit and a tie, Jerry Garcia, and, 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 you, and you do all the right things, you'll never stop being that person because in the dark you'll go there. In the quietness of who you are, you will go there. Until you accept his forgiveness and take him at his word. And only then will you be freed from your guilt, your shame, and your past. Now, here's the knot at the end of the rope. Okay? We've had three of them already. One more won't hurt. Here's the knot at the end of the rope. I just hope you'll get this and then I'll close it out. Listen to this statement. Forgiven people are forgiving people. You with me? Everybody with me? Okay. Forgiven people are forgiving people. When the brothers first, we didn't read it, we don't have time to go to it. But when they first appeared before Joseph and he knew them and they didn't know him, a strange conversation broke out amongst them in chapter 42. Chapter 42, verse 21, here's what they're saying. Now, they don't know that he knows their language and they don't know this is the brother. He knows us. They don't know any of that. So they think they're being secretive. Here's what they say in secretive. And they said one to another, we are very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. He cried to them, they would listen. And therefore is this distress come upon us. And then Reuben speaks up in verse 22. And Reuben answered them saying, Spake I not unto you saying, Do not sin against the child and you would not hear. Therefore behold, 
Also, His blood is required. They didn't know what forgiveness was all about, so you know what they spent their life doing up until they finally faced Joseph, and, and then 17 years later, they had to deal with their lack of belief in His Word. You, you, know what, you know what they did? They carried the weight of their guilt and their shame, and eventually that led to finger-pointing. They were blaming each other. I told you this. We're look what we we're here because what we did. And Reuben said, "Yeah, I told you." You know why they couldn't forgive? Why they held grudges? Why they were angry with each other? Why it erupted? You know why they couldn't forgive? Because they didn't know they were forgiven. They had not yet experienced forgiveness themselves, so they were they were unwilling to forgive someone else. Let me tell you what I have found. I have found that people who struggle with accepting forgiveness themselves have a really hard time forgiving others. How can you, how can you let somebody free from prison when you're locked in the cell next to them? And if you're here and you're stuck in your past, if you've never just found the freedom that, that God washed it all away, it's okay. Jesus took it. You don't have to carry that burden anymore. If you don't have that freedom inside of you, you're not going to have the freedom to forgive other people because you've got the stain of guilt that you're carrying. You've got the mark of Cain. You're walking around feeling yourself besmirched and filthy and dirty and lower than everyone else because when Jesus said, I forgave you, you don't believe his word. And if a holy God won't forgive you, why would a sinful you forgive anybody else? Let me give you a verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Enabling, listen, accepting His forgiveness of me enables me to forgive someone else. The struggle with forgiveness so oftentimes is not me struggling to forgive someone. That, that may be where it, where it surfaces, but the real struggle is me accepting forgiveness that He gives me. When I have settled the fact, amazing fact, amazing grace, that God forgave me of everything that I was, everything that I ever did when I get to that place to where I believe his word I take him at his word and I live as a forgiven person I don't struggle I don't struggle with forgiving other people of their penny ante offenses that they've committed against me that's the real struggle with forgiveness. Let's bow our heads, couldn't we?
Thank you for being patient with me today. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of territory we needed to cover. I don't know where you're at in this. I, I can't. I'm not the Spirit of God. All, all I could do today is preach what God told me to preach. There's no doubt in my mind. I told my wife throughout this week of what God was doing in my own life and my own heart. Even my Sunday school lesson that we taught this morning, that which God's called clean, don't, don't you call no man unclean or common. Boy, God just hit me between the eyes with a hammer again, afresh and anew. And then as I prepared this message, I just... I got reconnected in my own life with God forgiving me. I, I don't know where you need that. But it's the struggle with forgiveness from which all other unforgiveness comes. When you realize what you've been forgiven of and how thorough His forgiveness is, how could you do anything other than forgive? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for grace, undeserved, unmerited. I never deserved to be forgiven, and yet here I stand, forgiven. And I'm thankful. I pray that you would help us all to come to a reckoning with that forgiveness. Something that we would embrace and accept and, and be thankful for so that we can spread it to other people. Help us to live, not like these brothers did for 17 years. Help us to live in light of your word, knowing we've been forgiven. And we'll thank you, Lord, for what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.